Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, we are joined by Dr. Christine Kua. Oh, I didn't ask you. Is it okay to say the Director of Strategy at KSK and the co-founder and head at KSK City Labs? A mouthful. Sure. Yeah, you can say all of that. Well, that's what I said already. <laughs> Christine, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Uh, firstly, Michael, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm doing well today. Uh, excited that we've gone past Wednesday, so we're getting the weekend soon. So <laughs> that's something I always look forward to. It's so funny you say that because this morning I really woke up and I had no idea what day it was. I, like, I literally had to look at my calendar because I'm not at home, right? Yeah. So I have no frame of reference. I woke up in a hotel room and I was like, oh no, today's the day where I have to do that thing. It must be Thursday. You know that <laughs> feeling though, right? That's why you need your phone calendar. I, I, know. <laughs> I know, but what kind of sad life am I living if the first thing I do when I wake up is grab my phone and look at what day it is? I mean, that's <laughs> terrible, right? But I think that's what I do. Anyway, thank you very much for doing this. Before we jump into the main part of our conversation, mm-hmm. can our listeners get some of your background for some context? Sure. Uh, so my background was actually in medicine. Uh, so I started off, you know, obviously med school, uh, worked as a doctor in the UK, in the NHS. Uh, for Really? Yeah. And then, uh, and then made a big jump, decided to pack my bags, move back to Southeast Asia, uh, and then changed my career to management consulting. So uh, during that time, I actually spent most of my time in Bangkok and Singapore, actually. Um, and then finally did the, another pivot, uh, moved into real estate, um, and then uh, moved back to Malaysia uh, with, uh, you know, to join my, my sister in that as well. So um, some would say it's an extremely unconventional path <laughs> in my career, but that's, that's what it is, yeah. In a way, right? I, I want to understand this though. So when I was a little kid, right, there was a lot of pressure on me and my brother. And I think I mentioned this to you offline, online, I can't remember anymore when I <laughs> hit the record button. My brother's a doctor. Everybody knew I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor, but they did want me to be a professional. They wanted me to be a lawyer, right? And they figured if we've got a doctor in the family and a lawyer in the family, everybody's going to be okay. Was there pressure on you or was it something that you wanted to do? Do you know what I mean? Okay. Um, there wasn't any direct pressure. Uh, if anything, actually, <laughs> I think the suggestion of medicine did come um, through my parents. Uh, but then I think the realization that I wanted to study that uh, was actually was actually my own. Um, funny cool. thing is that when I decided to do medicine, that's when my parents were like, "Maybe you shouldn't. Like, maybe you should try something else instead." <laughs> but but you know, like um, I, I don't think they ever forced us to to do anything, um, particularly you know conventional in in an Asian family. But yeah. but then uh, ironically, we did end up with an economist, a doctor, and a lawyer uh, in the family anyway. <laughs> Wait, so are there are there three of you? So there are actually four of us. So uh, three sisters, I'm the third. Right. Uh, and then, so it, the first one is an economist, second one is a lawyer, uh, Cindy, the one uh, you've met, right. myself, a doctor. And then um, we have a younger brother who actually took the unconventional path. Uh, he went on to study political science. So there you go. He, wow. he had the interesting one. <laughs> yeah, there, there are four of us as well in my family. So I know what that's like growing up. <clears throat> nice. I like it. I like it a lot. What was the, like, what made you stop being a doctor and go into management consulting? I mean, it's a gigantic change, right? It's a huge change. Um, So actually, I honestly, I love my time like as a doctor, right? Um, I spent a lot of time in the emergency room uh, in cardiac hospitals, which was just super fun. Uh, I think especially (laughs) 
especially when there were actually emergencies. Um, that right. was really fun. Um, but I think there was a lot of noise uh, and peripheral stuff that happened around being a doctor, a lot of administrative work. And I just felt that that wasn't really the, the lifestyle that I wanted for myself. Right. Um, so so um, I decided to, to pivot over to something else where I could still find the joy of, you know, cracking puzzles, solving problems. Um, and at the time, anyway, the, the family was exposed as a business, was exposed to a lot of um, management consulting work anyway. Um, so that's where I got the idea to kind of explore that conversation started happening. Um, and, and one of the, the partners in the firm who uh, is close to the family um, was literally like, would you like to move over to Bangkok like now? <laughs> You're like, right <laughs> now? <laughs> I like, called my best friend, like, should I do it? She's like, yeah, let's do it. And then so I went for it. <laughs> That's how it happened. Do you, do you think that people misunderstand, like, what's the right way to say this? Like an emergency room doctor, particularly in, in the cardiac area, right? I mean, but in any area, really, if it's an emergency room, because you said, I just wanted to do salt to be a problem solver, right? Mm. I think people don't understand like how much of a problem solver in real time emergency room doctors are. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then just how transferable that is to other things, because there's no time to check the manual. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. exactly. Is that fair? It's super fair to say, and I wish, yeah, I wish more people understood that because you really have to think on your feet. I mean, yeah. so they try in the emergency room, they try to have manuals, but like you said, like when someone is crashing in front of you, like there's no time. Um, so it's really just seeing what's in front of you, solving that problem immediately. But I think the other thing that was really nice about working in, in the emergency room was the, the level of teamwork. Yeah. Because it's it's not it's it's to the extent where everyone's crowded around a patient around a bed, um, really really trying to work together, and the level of camaraderie that happens in that moment is kind of crazy, and it's something that, um, yeah, I, I always remember. Um, the feeling is just something different. Yeah. Do you play sport as well? Sorry. Do you play sport? Do I play sport? Uh, now and again, yeah, not not competitively. But can you see the analogy here? Yes. It, like being a doctor in the emergency room is like playing championship level sports at all times, right? It's like constant. There is no time. You're constantly making decisions. And if you win, which in this case is like saving a patient's life or helping somebody like not die. Yeah. That feeling you have with the people around you, right? Because again, the teamwork is so obvious. You can't do it yourself. Yeah. Agreed. And just like sport, right? The greatest sports players in the world will always say that like the game slows down. Mm -hmm. when they feel like they're getting really good at it. Is it the same thing in an emergency room? Do you know what I mean? Where stuff like seems to like move slower because you're like, I got it. Do you know what I mean? When you get into a zone? Yeah. Um, I guess I don't know if I experienced, because things were honestly moving really fast. So fast. <laughs> <laughs> there are some certain emergencies where like bloods, bags of blood were just like flying across Everywhere. your eyes. They just like infuse the blood and throw it across the room, right? So I think... Things were always moving fast, I think, for us. But I really love your analogy of it being like a championship sport. It makes it sound really, really good. It really is, though, I think, at some level, although a lot more dangerous some and a lot scarier. But mm -hmm. the other thing I think, too, right, is that I worked on a trading desk for years. Yeah. Okay. And we were microprocessing information on a constant basis. Mm -hmm. And I found that when I stopped doing that, but when I was in a situation where I had to do analysis, that it because it wasn't moving so fast, mm -hmm. it just seemed like my brain could process things in a way that was faster than it might've been if I hadn't had that experience. Does that make sense? 
Got it. Yeah, yeah. Because you've been. It's almost like your brain has been pushed to a limit. Another limit. Yeah. Another limit. Um. So how fast can you process all these numbers and what you're seeing in front of you, and then come up with a plan? Um, yeah. And every single time you do something, you give a medication or you get a scan, like things change, the circumstances change. Yeah. So then it's a round of evaluation, like what's going on. Um, yeah, I think like the 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 thrill of it is is addicting. Addictive. It really is. <laughs> it really is. No, but you're right because when I stopped being a trader, like the whole world seemed to be just moving really slowly. I'm like, I need a little bit of some kind of fix for speed, if that makes sense. And I don't mean drug speed. I just mean like movement speed, if that's fair. It's true. That and also I found, so when I moved from, from medicine to consulting, like one of the things I had to really adjust was um, <laughs> my expectations. Like, oh, okay, um, this, this thing that we're doing now isn't so bad because nobody's going to die. But right. at some point, like, you can't really trump that, right? It's like, obviously, no one's going to die in this line of business. Um, <laughs> but that was something that I had to seriously adjust uh, in terms of my expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you get into the real estate business? Um, so real estate business um, is our family business. Um, and so we're in insurance and real estate, um, but we're in real estate in Malaysia. Uh, and so after, you know, during the time when I was a consultant, um, I obviously lived with my older sister, who um, is the CEO of uh, KSK Sunday. Group and also the MD of KSK Land, which is our real estate uh, right. arm. So, I mean, we talk a lot, right? Um, and right. at one point, I think the stars aligned. I was kind of like looking for a bit more purpose to what I was doing, um, a bit more ownership of, of the work, of the time that I was putting into. I wanted to kind of own something that I built. Right. Um, and at the same time, she was also looking to, you know, it's like, hey, why not we do something with tech um, in real estate? Um, and she thought that, you know, um, it would be great for me to join her as well. And I thought, yeah, that would be great. That would be amazing. Um, so that's how it all happened. Was Sunday already active at the time? In other words, was your sister looking at the at the experience that Cindy had looking at the existing family insurance business and saying, you know what, we could take this and keep going like this, but the whole world is moving towards a technology-based business. And that actually gives us scale. And if we could attach that to the real estate business as well, then we could super differentiate ourselves from the rest of the companies in Malaysia. Was this the thought process at some level? It was very much that. Um, I think we took a lot of inspiration from Sunday. So Sunday had already been running for at least uh, three years at the time. Got it. Um, and obviously super successful. So we were like, okay, if we can do that to ourselves, disrupt ourselves in insurance, why not do it to real estate? And I think the beauty was that um, we hadn't been in real estate as long as insurance. So it was almost easier to disrupt ourselves because the, the legacy of what we had done was not as you know, big or built up yet. Um, so it's much easier to pivot, right? Yeah. And to be fair, even though I worked at big companies, inside big companies, there's still legacy, right? And I was the guy who wanted to take technology yeah. and make businesses way more productive. And there was so much resistance, even at a company like Goldman Sachs. I'm not kidding. Like what you see on the outside, like what your expectations are, what it's like on the inside are two completely different things. And getting all this tech embedded into the business, even inside a company that looks so progressive like Goldman, which it is, and they do yeah. a super job, right? Yeah. But I can imagine in a smaller business, just the people that have been there for a while just saying, and you're lucky, right? Because like you said, the real estate business was newer than the insurance business. Yeah. But the challenge is still there to convince people like, 
the way you've been doing stuff is awesome, but let's try something new and different. Mm-hmm. Was that hard as well? It was hard because I think not only was it, you know, something new for the company, like, hey, let's do things differently. Let's change right. the way that we price homes, which, you know, nobody else is doing in the market, right? So on top of that, like, I was new to the company as well. <laughs> right. um, you know what I mean? So it was like a double double whammy, essentially. Um, hey, here's a new face and here's something new that we're going to totally do. Right. I think, and then maybe maybe a triple whammy is like, she's also a family member. Yeah, remember, so like yeah. having to prove that credibility, like I'm not coming in and just doing something that is you know, for fun. But, uh, so this is, but this is a conversation I love having, right? And I just mentioned it about Goldman Sachs, but I'm curious what it's like in a family business as well. Mm-hmm. You know, from the outside, it looks like one thing. Yeah. And particularly when a family member joins when they've been a doctor or been in consulting, right? So the people that have been there are like, oh, here comes a family member. Yeah. But from the outside, it looks like, oh, there she goes just doing the easy thing. But so much harder than that. Is, is that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally get it. Because uh, you're like, you said the word whammy. I would have used a different word. I'll let you talk in a second. But when you come in, you're like, oh, no, everybody already has these preconceived notions about me and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. But now I'm going to try to change everything using this thing. That's going to be hard. Yeah. 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 Really challenging. Uh, it took a while, I think. Um, I think when I started off, I had to not pay my dues, but definitely spend time just uh, learning the business, learning real estate, and really right. trying to understand it and not just come in and just make changes straight away because obviously people will be like, why, why are you doing that? Right. You don't know what's, what we've been doing. You don't know the, the industry. Um, so, so I really had to try and, try and uh, understand that and, and in a way like kind of prove that, you know, the stuff that I'm introducing that has been some thought uh, and some intention put <laughs> around it. Um, yeah, what, yeah. What was the vision for you before you joined, right? In other words, what was the vision when you said, I want to attach technology and implement technology to do this? And then over time, like how long have you been doing this now? A couple of years now. Right. So now a couple of years in, how did things change from that original vision, which I'm very curious about, into what you're doing today? Um, the scope of work has definitely expanded. I think um, <laughs> one of our DNAs, I think, is to, even in the company, but even as a family, is like whatever is thrown your way, just take it on and just do it. So I came in with the intention of leading PropTech, which I still am. Mm-hmm. Um, but we now are also looking to build like a property management company with PropTech embedded in. So this is like, this company essentially is the direct equivalent of Sunday um, to, to in real estate. Um, so essentially that's under my scope now to to lead and build and then i also took on people and culture um for the company and sustainability um and some strategy work so you see the scope has just like expanded but it's fun yeah but this is really interesting right because a real estate business is fundamentally a physical business right yeah i'm going to simplify it so and again you can tell me where i'm wrong but i'm going to simplify it a little bit so that it's easy for everybody to understand you're either building condominiums right so a big building with a, where a bunch of people live in different kinds of scenarios or groups of houses, right, in little neighborhoods. But it's a physical building. Mm-hmm. But there's another side of that business, which is the management of those buildings. Yeah. And that's because scaling using technology, a physical business or a construction business is also possible. There are mm-hmm. ways to attach tech to that too. Yeah. But on the property management side, that you could scale globally. 
Exactly. Right? Because the things you learn by doing that yeah. are applicable almost everywhere, right? Again, 100 people living in a building need services. They need IoT devices. They need e-commerce inside the building. They need to replace their lights or get their air conditions. Like all this property management stuff, which before was just run by a juristic office mm-hmm. downstairs, yeah. is now can run in an app. Like I'm curious about how that's developing. And even if I'm right, I don't know. I don't, I'm not in the real estate business. No, so I mean, that's, that's exactly right, right? So I think for us, when we decided to go into real estate development, we didn't want to just build a shell and car and then walk away. Right. Um, you know, it's more about what is the life that you create for the people who have bought your, your flats, um, yeah. your apartments and people who decide to live in there. Um, I feel like we have a role, a big role to play in crafting that life for them. And, and that's the idea of wh- why we decided to build the app. I mean, the app essentially is a platform where you can host their lives. Um, that's the intention. And, and with the app, like you said, um, it means that we can host this, you know, if you have a property management company, it's not just about, you know, today it's about uh, the upkeep of the property, uh, making sure that the repairs happen, the building, but what about uh, crafting the residents' lifestyles? Um, so it's such that, for example, our property management company is, is called Lemmy. Um, so for it's, it's born, the name is born out of, uh, the phrase, let me help you, hence Lemmy. Um, so, so essentially saying that if you, if you live in the Lemmy managed property, uh, we can say, you know, welcome to the Lemmy life. Uh, because when you live the Lemmy life, everything is seamless. Everything is digitally integrated on the app. Uh, and you get all these perks and benefits to lifestyle brands. Um, so part of the business is to form a lot of partnerships with, with other lifestyle brands as well. How does um, that work? So, sorry? How does that work? How does that work? So for example, um, I mean, even now with our retail um, lifestyle quarters, we have loads of lifestyle brands. We have Platter, which is our culinary playground. Uh, we have Maeve, which is like a female-led uh, inspired space. And then we have Team Lab, which is like a digital art museum. So already there, we can see like we can have partnerships with them and say, okay, if you join, if you rent a place uh, managed by Lemmy, you get perks and you get exclusive access to these areas, these lifestyle brands, for example. So it's really kind of like pulling the whole ecosystem together. What's been the response? I mean, it's only two years old, right? And this is something... It's a way that people have not lived prior, right? There wasn't an app running the building in which they were living. Mm-hmm. Is the uptake good? And is this also the way people get like package delivery, right? I still walk into my condo and if there's a package, there, there's just a pile of them on it. And I live in a really nice building. Yeah. You I know, mean, a really nice brand new building run by a fancy like real estate company. But there are people sitting at the front desk and there's a table there and it just says like room 455 or room 724 in a box. <laughs> Please tell me you're not totally doing that. that. Yeah. I mean, I think at the moment it's like a chicken and egg situation because it's like, do people want it? Um, or Because right now I don't think there's any property management company in Malaysia that's that's really doing this yet. Um, right. And it's probably not, it, it, you can't, we're not sure, right? Is it because people don't want it or because people haven't been exposed to this type of service before, hence haven't had the chance to know that they want it. Right, right, right. Um, and, and I believe that it's probably the second uh, I mean, even looking um, over to the West, I know in the in the US, for example, there are already companies doing this, um, and so we really wanna we wanna bring that over to Southeast Asia as well. But there's historical precedent for this, right? Mm. <clears throat> in many industries, I mean, I think it was Henry Ford who said, "If I asked my customers what they'd wanted, what they wanted, they just would have said a faster horse," right? Exactly. And and when I was a kid, <laughs> you're like, 
Yeah, back in the 1930s. <laughs> um, you know, cars just started getting automatic windows. Mm-hmm. And nobody knew that they needed a button to roll the window up and nobody was complaining about it, right? And even to today, like if, if you're driving in a car next to somebody and you want to talk to them, you don't go like this. Yeah. Or maybe mostly the, you just go like this because everyone knows that means roll down the window. It's but true. once you have it, you can't get rid of it. And I think this is the same thing with the property management stuff you're doing with technologies. Nobody really knows they need it because they don't have it. Mm-hmm. But boy, if they're in the office like two hours later than they should be and they get a notification on their app that there's a package there and that they can make some kind of decision with either somebody else in the building or somebody else in their family to tell them to go pick it up because it's technologized, yeah. that changes their lives, right? Exactly, exactly. So it's almost like similar to, you know, we never knew we needed ride-hailing apps, but now like literally can't live without them. So essentially, yeah. that's, that's kind of like the same level where you're trying to get to. Um, yeah, so it's super exciting. are you surprised by like some of the things that you've learned during the past couple of the during the past couple of years in the way technology affects the way people live like on a day-to-day basis do you know what i mean outside of the ride hailing thing but inside of the four walls where they live how technology can change it in other words like the e-commerce thing is a really big deal to me everybody's apartment has light bulbs Mm -hmm. and everybody needs to replace them but there's a way actually in brand new buildings to put IoT devices in there. And as the bulbs, and maybe the bulbs aren't a great example because they last for so long now, but like if there's any kind of electrical problem, the app can actually get identified through an IoT device that tells them wirelessly that then they can just like schedule with the juristic office to get replaced. Mm-hmm. That's super useful, no? Yeah, exactly. And I think another thing that maybe people will eventually find that it's amazing to have is for example like home automation now you don't yeah. even have to, the fact that you don't even have to think about it and right. it's done for you um so for example um you know the moment you walk out of the, your condo um your robot cleaner starts moving and cleaning your house but the moment you, you come back home it docks itself because you don't want to see anything no. being clean when you're around um you know little things like that i think it's awesome and it will really change change our lives or like when it's 6 p.m your water heater turns on so that you always have hot water yeah. uh, you never have to have a cold shower um things like that are pretty simple actually to do um but just not widely adopted or not as widely adopted yet in your mind is there a sustainability and an esg angle to this as well and the reason why i ask is because you just said this thing about the water heater right when i'm at when i'm not home all day yeah. If I'm working in an office, you know, 20 minutes from my house, there's no reason for my water heater to be on, particularly in Malaysia where it doesn't get like it's not like Boston where it gets, you know, zero degrees. Exactly. But exactly. there is a sustainability aspect to that, too, because if it's not on, it's not using energy and then it's just better for the environment. Is that true as well? For sure. I think um, water heater is one, but I think the big guzzler of energy here is probably air conditioning. Uh <laughs> Yeah, no, but you're right, though. I'd love to be able to turn on my aircon when I'm not there. It's so simple when I'm on my way home, like 15 minutes before kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't come home to a really hot room. But at the same time, like even when you're at home, um, you know, you don't have to have your temperature at 21. It can fluctuate based on the temperature in the room. Right. And all you need is a few simple sensors um, and you can find out like what's your comfortable optimum temperature It's getting a bit geeky, but, you know, like, um, <laughs> What, what, I, I love it, but I, I guess my real question to you is, 21, is that really where you said it? <laughs> Mine's always 21, but I always know it's too cold, so it ends up being like, switch it off, and then five minutes later, now it's too hot, switch it on. That's the I'm, pain. Yeah. This is really hilarious, because I'm 22, not my age, but 
<laughs> but you're right, though. It does get too cold sometimes. But even the switching it lower and then switching it higher, it's also bad for the environment, right? Because it's yeah. taxing the machine, which is then working too hard. Exactly. And if it's automated, if it can find the optimal temperature based on your behavior, it'll just be better for everything. Yeah. Exactly. Or even <clears throat> if you're in, if you're, if you've left the room for a certain amount of time, you can just yeah. switch thing off. Um, so things like that. Yeah. This is so much fun. Do you, do you try to build places? If you're building places from scratch, do you do that as well? New constructions? Do we, do we install like IOTs? No, and stuff? no. Does your family build like new builders from scratch, like buy a piece of land, build a whole building oh, from yeah. scratch? Yeah. yeah, you do. Right. So do you yeah. try to build a place that you would also like to live? Do you know what I mean? If it's from scratch, definitely you could do anything. For sure. I mean, like, you know, with the first, with this, our maiden development, A Conley. Um, so, I mean, I wasn't here from the start, but my sister was. And of course, she, she built it with the stuff she loves. She's, we've all got a unit, so we're all living there. So we're just moving ourselves from the family home and everyone's moving to the new development. <laughs> okay, but that's a real taste of it's got to work, right? Because if you're living there as well. Yes. You're exactly. not going to put up with suboptimal situations. No, no. So quality is definitely something that we're looking at. Um, and essentially, yeah, even when I'm sitting with the team, the tech team to design the app, um, I'm thinking about myself, right? Um, putting yeah. myself in the shoes and like, okay, I'm going to be living there. Is this really what I want? Um, <laughs> Is this how I want to do this thing? <laughs> exactly. well, did, did you have any reservations? So you went to, did you go to medical school in, in the UK as well? Yeah. So you did, right? So you went and when you were there, you were there by yourself, like your family wasn't with you, right? Uh, uh, for certain periods of time, Cindy was there with me as well. Okay, uh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But were there reservations in not just coming back to the region, but in working with like your brothers and sisters? Like, I don't know if I, I love my brother like crazy. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. But I don't even think I could live with him. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but working is, is very tricky, right? Because I would even say if you were working not with family members, but like with people that were close to you, it's like almost worse than getting married, right? Because there's this whole financial relationship as well. Mm -hmm. Were there any reservations from you or from the other family members about like, because if it doesn't work, we're still family kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think um, we all know that there's definitely a challenge to, to work as a family and as siblings. Um my oldest sister, Joanne, so Joanne and Cindy have worked together for a long time. And Joanne and uh, uh, my father has, have worked for more than a decade together, right? So right. they are the veterans. Like, they know, they know how to do this song and dance around each other, um, such that it works. So definitely when I, when I decided to join the family business, this was definitely one of the things that, that uh, they gave a lot of support to me. And, you know, it's like, um, it's down to the little things where even in the office, you don't, like at home, I call my sisters, yeah, you know, like in the Chinese way of calling sister, but I at work, I know that I have to call her by name. Uh, I can't call my dad, dad in the office. I have to call him by his title. So, but these little things. Um, it matters though. It matters and it shifts, it shifts the mindset. So it's trying to like put, we try and put a wall between professional and, and personal and family, but it's always, it's not always that simple. Like there's no such thing as like, okay, I'm now transitioning into the professional mode. It doesn't work like that. Like it's a lot more fluid, right. even conversations shift between being personal and professional uh, within a sentence. Um, but it's just knowing that, you know, I think it's knowing when to put certain things aside, like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But the, the flip side of this, and, you know, we talked a little bit about the camaraderie 
of yeah. being in the emergency room and also just, you know, operating at world-class sport level. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, there must be this inherent joy when something goes well, knowing that your teammates are also your family. Like that high five is a different kind of high five when it's your sister and your dad or your mom. And yeah. even if it's a really close colleague, no? Yeah, definitely. I think because previously, you know, I had only seen my sisters as sisters, right? And and even when they had professional achievements, I was right. very happy for them. But I, I wasn't around to see uh, the level of effort and work that was put in. Right. But of course, now that that I'm part of the family business as well, then you 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 see the other side. You see the whole picture, and you're like, okay, this took a lot of work. Um, I'm extra happy for it, and you feel that camaraderie, and definitely. Um, you know, in the past couple of years during COVID as well, obviously things have been challenging. Yeah. Um, and so so knowing that we're all in this together, right, as a team, similar to the emergency room, like we're all here because we're trying to help this patient. Um, so right. having that level of camaraderie uh, is really good. Did your dad start this business or did his family, like I'm just wondering who the founder of the KSK business was. Uh, that was my dad. It was your dad, right? Yeah. yeah. But when you were a little girl, you probably didn't understand as much as you do today about just how hard it was for him to start that business from scratch. And, mm-hmm. you know, to be fair, KSK is a big business. Yeah. But now do you even have a deeper appreciation for just how hard it was for him to be an entrepreneur and build it into what it is? You know, because before you were just like, yeah, you know, my dad has a business kind of thing. But mm-hmm. now do you feel differently about that too? For sure. I think, uh, I mean, obviously we learn, we learn a lot from him and we hear the stories as well. Yeah, yeah. And definitely, I think we, I have a greater appreciation of, you know, what it took down to, like he's saying, you know, you should always have a crazy idea because if you don't have one, you, you won't, you won't achieve anything great. Right. Um, so, and then, you know, even like learning how to um, manage and, and bring people with you and grow and nurture everyone around you. I think that led to his success and what, what he was able to achieve with KSK. Right. So I think, I think being around him now and learning that side of him um, definitely yeah, is inspiring. You make a really good point. Mm-hmm. There's this myth of the solo entrepreneur, right? Somebody toiling away late at night, solving mm-hmm. all the problems. Mm-hmm. And just this idea that, you know, I have this thing, theory that I call no one succeeds alone. Yeah. And this idea that you said that your dad's success, or at least the way he explained it to you, is also based on just gathering a bunch of people together and pointing them in the same direction or convincing them to go in the same direction and being able to pass that down onto your kids so that they can learn that that's important too, that no matter how good they are at their job, even being entrepreneurs, that without the support of the team, it's Mm -hmm. not going to work. Is that fair? It's fair. And he always tells us like, and we believe this, um, a great leader is someone who can make everyone around them do their best. Yeah. And together we then achieve what we have to as a business. It's not about you as a leader and what you are doing only, right? It's what about it's about what how you move the pieces um, together, you know, or around the chessboard and how you make everything come together. So we always live by kind of that that value and that advice that he's given to us. I think that is the exact thought on which we will end this conversation. Dr. Christine Kua, the Director of Strategy at KSK and the co-founder and the head at KSK City Labs. That was awesome. I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Yeah, it was great. Would love to have this in person one day. We definitely will. (laughs) Yeah.